Travel with me to a day like many others in a large hospital food court near a major university. You can see a distraught man who's seated at one of the tables surrounded by numerous popular restaurants. Hopefully there's a Chick-fil-A there, but we don't know. On the table, you can see guns and ammo as the man sits there considering his next move. All around him, people hustle and bustle. Doctors and nurses grab a quick bite before returning to their patients. Families seek comfort food amid the challenging situations they're facing. Some are helping spouses. Some are helping elderly parents. Still others are helping children. Despite the seemingly obvious threat to everybody in the area, surprisingly nobody notices the agitated man in his cache of weapons sitting atop the table. As a psychological battle continues in his war-torn mind, families and co-workers chatted up, trays slam onto the tables, the loudspeaker makes announcements trying to catch everybody's attention. The major question was, would all the noise of conversation and other actions and interactions, would they continue? Or would they be interrupted by the sound of bullets? That question hung in the air. For the man, the situation felt like the intense humidity before a fierce storm. A thunderous downpour of lightning-fast bullets seemed inevitable. There was no way out. For the oblivious people, the potential attack would be akin to an earthquake or a tsunami. Nobody would see it coming until it was too late. But providentially, somebody noticed the man in his table full of guns and ammo. They approached the distressed man calmly and began to talk to him doing everything to de-escalate this situation, which was ripe for tragedy and immediately wrought into a story for the evening news. This individual tried to help the man rather than judge him. The two sat there at the table and talked, and the situation took a turn for the better. The man needed mental, emotional, and spiritual help. This advocate, this stranger, this intercessor, who stood in the gap and made up the hedge, saved so many lives that day, including the life of the would-be assassin. This advocate succeeded because he met tension with tenderness, self-hate with brotherly love, heartache with heartfelt listening, many lives saved due to discernment. They did not miss the cue to intercede for a person in need. When we fail to recognize others in need, we open up the world to more sin, more heartbreak, more calamity. We recognize that everybody should be responsible for their own actions, but we cannot deny the call to be a community of believers who care about fellow saints and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Hopefully, we will recognize opportunities to meet the needs of others. Hopefully, we will, like Ruth, not miss our cue to do what is right. Conventional wisdom said Ruth should leave a bitter old woman and go back to her people, but Ruth's love and care for Naomi compelled her to act. Ruth believed that bitter Naomi could once again live up to her name and be pleasant. Ruth shared God's love with her, even though she knew very little about Naomi's God. But we're going to learn a whole lot about him and Ruth's story right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. So happy to have you on this first episode 
of this brand new year. I hope the happy new year is still happy for you, and hopefully those resolutions are going along fairly swimmingly. You are joining L.J. Harry. I'm your God's Word for Life podcast host, and you are listening to this companion podcast. And today's episode is entitled Ruth and the Redeemer. It is a whole series, starting a series on the faithfulness of God. And this stems, no surprise, from the book of Ruth, chapter 3, verse 11, where Ruth's redeemer named Boaz says to her, And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Sounds like a pretty nice guy. So let's go back to the beginning of the book of Ruth. It begins with famine, death, and failure. Ha <laughs> ha, that's a good way to start a new year. But then the book takes a radical turn and ends in fullness, life, and blessing. That's a good way to start a new year. The story reveals that even when we face our most difficult circumstances, like famine, death, and even failure, God still cares for us. He still cares for the needs in our lives. No matter what happens or what decisions we make, whether we make them right or wrong, God can still intervene and work miracles. The power of the love of God profoundly changed Ruth's story started in the days of Judges with a man by the name of Elimelech and his family who was dealing and battling a famine in Bethlehem, a city whose name means house of bread in Hebrew. It's a little ironic, isn't it? The house of bread had no bread. That's like going to Steak and Shake, and they're like, yeah, we're all out of steak burgers. Well, I'll have a shake. Yeah, we're all out of those two. Well, Bethlehem, house of bread, no bread. So Elimelech saddled his famished horse or donkey, and journeyed to Moab because he heard there was food in Moab. Some people over the years have criticized Elimelech for leaving the house of bread, but we can't ignore the fact that other men in the Old Testament left the promised land during times of famine. You remember in the days of Abraham and Sarah, they went to Egypt and Gerar. In Isaac and Rebekah's day, they stayed in Gerar during a famine. The entire family of Israel moved to Egypt because God sent Joseph ahead of them to save the world from famine. So this has happened many times before. Elimelech had good reason and precedent for this choice. Plus, his name might also prove telling. Elimelech means, my God is king. In the days of the judges, there was no king. And in Israel, everybody did what was right in his own eyes. In Israel, God's chosen people, they were wicked during those days. But Elimelech recognized the sovereignty of God. The Israelites behaved terribly in the days of the judges. So maybe Elimelech thought Moab would be a better place for his family. He was a good man, but his decision would prove fatal. Not long after Elimelech moved to Moab, he died, leaving his now widow once wife, Naomi, heartbroken. But there was a bright spot. Naomi had found wives for her two sons there in Moab, and their names were Ruth and Orpah. And so there was some happiness among all the sadness until... Those two sons also died, leaving now three widows, not just one. Heartbroken, devastated, depressed, Naomi decided it's time to go back home. She told her daughters a tearful tale. Listen, ladies, I'm so sorry, but I've got no more sons in me. I'm, I'm well past childbearing years. But then she gave a hypothetical that is just a hypothetical. But let's just say I meet a man today, and let's say we get married today, and let's say we have a baby this year. Would you really wait around for that young man to be 14, 15, 18 years old so you can marry? You're not going to wait around. You ladies stay here in Moab and you live your life and I'm going to go home to Bethlehem and I'll live mine. 
Orpah, one of her daughters-in-law, listened to her mother-in-law and said, okay. And so she stayed there, kissed her mother-in-law, and stayed there in Moab. But Ruth was different. Even though Ruth was from Moab and was a Moabitess, she seemed to be in perfect sync with God's divine plan. She didn't go back with Orpah, even though common sense would have said that's the best play. But she told Naomi, hey, where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I will not leave you. That seems to be a whole nother level of faithfulness. Here's a question. How can we look past the words of others, see their hurt, and help them? Think about it. Do you really think Naomi wanted to be left all alone? Or do you think she was just looking out for Ruth and Orpah as if to say, I don't want to ruin your lives. My life is over. My life is ruined. But let me not ruin yours. But somehow Ruth was able to look past all those words and see the hurt of a heartbroken woman and say, I won't leave you alone if I can do something about it. That's beautiful. Let's all take advantage of opportunities to care for the hurting. On many occasions, they might lash out at us. They might tell us they don't need our help. They don't want our help. They don't want our prayers. They don't want our God. And yet down deep, they may want help. They may be so upset they talk out of their minds like it seemed like Naomi did. And despite their attempts to send us away, let's not miss the cue to help them. Let's ask God to help us to be sensitive to His Spirit and their need so we can help minister to them. Last night on the way home from church, I stopped by a McDonald's for French fries. That's our Wednesday tradition. We get French fries and a smoothie at McDonald's on Wednesday night. And I got to the window, and there's a young lady there. And I said, hey, we're, our family is a family of faith. Is there anything we can pray about for you and your family? Then she looks at me, and she said, no, no, I'm good. You know what? Actually, and she told me a prayer request about her family. Just in a moment like that, I heard a sincere lady calling out sincerely for help from God. She may not even know how to get a hold of God, but now she knows somebody who does. And so now we will pray, and I believe God will answer. Let's all look for the opportunity to minister to the hurting. Ruth was right on cue in her decision to walk with Naomi back to Bethlehem, and God put her on a divine course to give Naomi exactly what she needed. Naomi didn't have a whole lot to offer Ruth, Ruth could give Naomi a son, but Naomi couldn't give Ruth one. Whenever somebody died in Israel, a family member could raise up a child who could count as their own child. So God was orchestrating an ingenious plan that turned Naomi's words of nonsense about bearing sons into this new plan because of Ruth. Soon, Naomi would hold a child that would be counted as her own. God cared for every need in Naomi's life. She might have thought she just needed bread, but the Lord knew she needed more. She needed love. She needed grace. Ruth started down the path. They got to Bethlehem, and she started to glean in a field. She was looking for food for her mother-in-law and for herself, and we see this beauty of God's plan in the narrator's note about Ruth, stating, Her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. We get a little sneak peek into what's really happening here. Wait a minute, you're going to tell me that her hap, or just by chance, she happened to find a field belonging to Boaz who was related to Elimelech who would have been her father-in-law? Really? That's not coincidence, that's providence. We read this line and we can almost see the narrator wink 
at us as the reader to say, ha it's going to get good from here. It didn't just happen. God had intentionally, strategically placed Ruth under Boaz's care and protection. Boaz met Ruth, and he assured her that he had plenty of food, plenty of water. All you've got to do is glean. You just take your basket, take your bucket, you pick up whatever you find on the ground. It's all yours. You enjoy. And he even went beyond requirement of the Jewish law that allowed the poor, which was Ruth, to glean only the corners of a field, that she could go to the corners of Boaz's field according to law, and she could pick up whatever was there. But Boaz said, no, 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 I've got more for that. And he even told his workers, I want you to drop handfuls on purpose. That way Ruth can pick it up and put it in her basket. Boaz was so gracious to Ruth. He also defended her. Some hirelings might have tried to take advantage of Ruth, but Boaz said, oh no, not on my watch. Boaz provided for her. Boaz protected her. He acted the way he did because he was a man of standing or a man of substance, probably both. The scripture indicates Boaz was a man of means, but really he was more than just a man of wealth. He was a man of integrity. Here's a question. Have you ever had a situation that first appeared to be coincidence, but later you saw the hand of God in your life? Why don't you share that testimony with somebody? It wasn't just coincidence. It was providence. God had beautifully orchestrated this meeting between this man of substance and integrity and this Moabitess widow named Ruth. But Naomi thought, eh, Boaz is a guy. He doesn't get hints. He's missed the cues. After all, he's had a young woman gleaning in the fields, drinking from the well, eating at his table, and he didn't quite seem to get the hint. Maybe Boaz needed a little bit more motivation to see this wonderful opportunity to marry this wonderful young woman right in front of him. So Naomi told Ruth to wash, anoint herself, get dressed, and head down to the threshing floor to meet Boaz. And Ruth did exactly what Naomi said. She arrived. She found Boaz sleeping at the end of a heap of corn after his night of eating and drinking, and Ruth lay there at his feet. And Boaz woke up and discovered Ruth somewhere around midnight, and he said, Who are you? And she told him who she was. And she asked him to spread his skirt over her because he was a near kinsman. Now, there are some scholars who suggest by this request she was essentially proposing marriage to Boaz. And here's the interesting part of the story to me. Boaz thanked Ruth for her kindness and vowed that he would attend to what she needed. It would seem to me that Ruth should thank Boaz, but instead Boaz said, thank you. You could go after any one of these young guys, but I'm an older guy and you're a younger woman, and yet you still, well, you still show kindness to me. Boaz continued to take care of Ruth and go beyond just the requirements of the law. And before she left the threshing floor, Boaz asks for her veil. And he measured out barley and put it in her veil to prevent her from going empty-handed back to her mother-in-law, Naomi. He was providing for her once again. When we follow these cues that God gives us, we put our faith into action. We watch God place us in some favorable situations. We must not simply rely on the Almighty God to do all the work. He will do what we can't, but we must do what we can. We must engage our faith by taking action. If you want a promotion, apply for it. If you need a ministry opportunity, then ask your pastor and ask if there's anything you can do to be a blessing, not just pulpit, not just music, but in any way, can I be a blessing and be a help to our local church? Talk to those 
who can help us fulfill those dreams of ours, and maybe it will take time. And maybe it'll happen right away, but either way, we must put our faith into action. Faith is not passive, it is active. How do you do that? How do you need to put your faith into action? That very day, Boaz proved good as his word. Boaz didn't fully recognize those previous cues, but he understood the significance of the moment before him, and he seized the day. We know very little of his backstory, but we can see God wanted to bless this man of substance and integrity by redeeming Ruth and Naomi. Boaz acted because he saw something of himself in Ruth. The Bible describes Boaz as a man of substance, and the text utilizes similar wording to describe Ruth as a woman of substance, not a woman of material means, but a woman of inner value. Some people focus on Boaz's wealth. He was, my man was loaded. He had a lot of fields, workers, money. But more than that, he had something inside that longed to do what was right. And God clearly wanted to show that substance, standing, and character, they don't come just from being rich. Ruth had no wealth, no social status. She was a member of an ethnic minority from another country, not even from Israel. And yet God recognized her worth because of what was inside. Her sacrificial action to bless Naomi would not go unrewarded. How can we allow God to work through us even though we might feel powerless? That day Boaz sat in the gate and he waited for a man who was closer in relationship to Ruth than Boaz was. Boaz was second place. There was another person who was ahead of him in the line of Redeemer and next of kin. And so he met with him and said, hey, man, how you doing? Good, 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 good. You know how guys are. We, <laughs> we don't do very well in conversation. Found a Boaz said, you know what? Let me cut to the chase. You know, the widow Naomi, she just came back from Moab. She lives here in Bethlehem now. She wants to sell a field that belongs to Elimelech. And you are the first in line to buy it. Do you want to redeem that field? And the guy was... Well, yeah, absolutely. Property, real estate right now is out of control. Yeah, I'd love it. Sure, that's great. How much? Okay, well, there's another condition you need to know about. Along with the field comes the right and responsibility to marry Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, and raise up for her an inheritance since her husband and Naomi's husband are dead. And the man, his face turned white he said, I, 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 I can't do that. I, 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 that's going to mess up all my plans. I'm sorry. I, I can't do that. If you want to redeem her, you can redeem her, but I'm not going to redeem her. And Boaz just grinned. He said, yes, yes, I do. I want to redeem her. And Boaz stepped forward, and he bought the right to buy that field and the opportunity to marry Ruth and raise up for her an inheritance that belonged to her. When Boaz proposed his plan to marry Ruth, he told her that other people saw her as a woman of standing. In the threshing floor, Boaz told Ruth that everybody in Bethlehem recognized her as a woman of substance. That's the same phrase used in Proverbs 31 to describe a virtuous woman. Her substance was what she was, not just what she owned. When everyone in Bethlehem heard that Boaz was going to marry Ruth, they publicly proclaimed her value and potential for even more greatness. They prayed Ruth would be like Rachel and Leah who built the house of Israel. And she was a great woman who raised up great children. In fact, her great-grandchild was a king named David. And his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson all the way down the line 
was the king of kings named Jesus. Ruth is world famous because Ruth was faithful. Ruth, awesome. Boaz, awesome. Let's live our life to step out and redeem others. We can't save them, but we can introduce them to the Redeemer. Sometimes we might feel like it's somebody else's responsibility. If you're not the pastor of a local church, you might feel like, well, it's the pastor's job or the youth pastor's job or the children's pastor's job. But it is every one of our responsibilities to make disciples for Jesus, of Jesus. There might be people who appear more gifted, more outspoken, more extroverted than we are, and yet God has called all of us to minister to people in need. Let's not put all that burden on pastor or ministerial leadership. Let's do everything we can for the glory of God to help make disciples to see people redeemed. Whom do you know who needs to be redeemed, and what can you do to help them? And let's wrap this up. Sometimes men prove more clueless than romantic when it comes to love. That's eh, kind of what Boaz was like. And they might have good reason for it. If Ruth had not met Boaz on the threshing floor that night, Boaz might have missed out on fulfilling his desire to be married, Ruth's desire to be remarried, and Naomi's desire to have a grandchild. But thankfully, Ruth heard Naomi's instructions, followed them to the letter, did not miss her cues. A number of people have acted like Boaz, failing to notice the love of their life right before them. Some love stories are funny, especially when men fail to understand the hints that women give them. One man didn't recognize the obvious cue when a friend smilingly stated that she and her boyfriend recently broke up. He expressed his sorrow, I'm so sorry for that, rather than asking her out. Later on, he figured out he missed that cue. He asked her for a date, they eventually married, and they have children. Sometimes even a whole group of guys fail to understand an obvious hint. Sometimes when a friend asks a counsel of his best friends for advice. One time a woman had given the man a mixed CD full of nothing but love songs. You remember back in the day, mixed tapes and mixed CDs? And yet the guys all debated what that gift really meant. Another man posted a message on Facebook to see if anybody wanted to go hiking. A cute girl he knew responded. They spent the whole day hiking, had dinner together, and only when he dropped her off at her house did he realize they have just had their first date, and eventually they too married. Sometimes people fail to understand the language of love. Such was the case when a woman tried to express interest in a man from another culture. She went so far as to learn how to say I love you in his parents' native language, but he didn't get it. Some things need to be texted in a message to get the point across. A girl texted a guy, do you have a girlfriend? He texted back, no, she replied, LOL. Really, that's so surprising because I don't have a boyfriend. And the genius responded, LOL. Even with the words right there in front of his face, he could not overcome his absent-mindedness enough to recognize the opportunity right before him. If people fail to miss romantic cues, they probably also fail to recognize God's cues, God's love for them. God cares about every need, but some people don't feel like God cares because they fail to see God's love because they fail to pick up on those cues. Sometimes a more direct approach is needed. We will pray for God to guide us in showing His love to others and let them know how much He loves them. If they don't get the cues, well, let's just come right out and tell them, Jesus loves you. I am so glad He does. Let's pray right now for our eyes to be open to God's work in our lives and then for God to help us to show others His love as He has shown His love to us. Lord, we love You. Great are You, God, greatly to be praised. 
I call on you today and I ask you to open our eyes to see your work in our life. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit, to your moving, to your ministering. When you are leading us somewhere, that we would know where you're leading us. When you're nudging us, we would know. God, I pray you would direct us, help us to also show others your love as we have been so blessed to experience your love. Help us to share it with others so they too can be redeemed as we have been so blessed to be redeemed. Thank you for this great story in scripture. I pray help us to live a life of honor for you, of integrity, of faithfulness, and to be both a recipient and giver of your great love. We pray this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Subscribe, follow, like, notify, share this episode, and let others know about this podcast. Also, head over to PentecostalPublishing.com and pick up some wonderful God's Word for Life resources. You can get leader guides, daily devotional guides. You can pick up devotional activity pages for children. You can pick up youth leader guide and devotional guides. Some wonderful resources there, as well as resource kits, videos, and music wonderful resources to help teach and make disciples all at pentecostalpublishing.com. And if you use promo code GWFL10, you'll save 10% off your order except for curriculum, but you can save 10% off Bibles, Bible studies, books, music, you name it. It's right there on pentecostalpublishing.com. I want to give a great shout out to the cities, the provinces, the countries who had the most downloads this past year. And I want to thank them for being faithful God's Word for Life listeners, our first place winner goes to these United States and the city of Chicago, Chicago, Illinois. Thank you to those in the land of Lincoln. And for our neighbors to the north, Canada, Alberta had the most downloads. So thank you so much to all those in Alberta and then across the pond. It was the United Kingdom. Thank you to everybody who's been a part of the God's Word for Life podcast. And I'll do my best from time to time to keep you informed on who's winning the download race. All of us are winning if we are drawing closer to Jesus, and I certainly hope we are. Next week, I'm going to share with you an episode called Three Days in the Deep, all about the story of Jonah. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, Make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.